Welcome to the Spitball Sessions. Prepare to enter the world of mechanics, the future of game creation, the evolution of design. With your two hosts, Josh Noyes and Luke Boulay, this is the dawning of the new age of remakes. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to uh, Spitball Sessions, where you must defeat your games to complete your games. My name is Josh, and I'm the uh, site owner for the website spitballsessions.com. I'm joined by my uh, by the site's uh, webmaster and designer, as well as my longtime friend, uh, who fortunately has not died yet, but who knows, it's a long show. Uh, Luke? Luke, how's your day been? Uh, Great! Now, for those of you who are wondering at home what Spitball Sessions is all about, we take ideas and concepts, filter out what parts of them are gems, and then discuss how that could be used to make interesting games, or how a rough game could be cut and polished even further. Today, we are talking about a long-time uh, thing that has, has reared its head below the surface of nearly every episode, has threatened to break through multiple times, and for some reason... Do you know what the co is cooking? I do, actually. <laughs> Uh, he was cooking pizza rolls about an hour ago. Delicious. Delicious. Um, yes, we're, today we're going to be talking about, and I was actually shocked that we had not talked about this already, uh, professional wrestling, the video game. Because here's the thing that you're not going to believe, Luke, as somebody who does not play a lot of professional wrestling games and also does not like professional wrestling particularly much. Uh-huh. Professional wrestling games are awful. Actually, I knew that. Because they're professional wrestling games. Well, I mean, even for people who like professional wrestling games, professional wrestling games are awful. Oh. So, I should clarify, there is one game, and we've talked about this before, you and I, and actually we talked about it on one of the episodes. I really love the the game uh, Total Extreme Wrestling, which you and I have talked about a couple times now, which is a a professional wrestling booking simulator, um, which has two major advantages. One is... You don't actually ever have to play any wrestling matches. And two, it's a simulator, which means that you get to book out all of the games in or all of the matches in advance. Because here's the thing about most professional wrestling video games is they all want to pretend that wrestling is real. Now, here's the thing that you and I and all of our listeners at home know. Professional wrestling is not real. Oh, you know, we're going to get in trouble for that. I think the laws of kayfabe were broken in 1994 by Vince McMahon, or was it 1996? One of those or the other. I actually forget. Uh, by Actually, I think it was technically by Vincent K. McMahon playing the Mr. McMahon character, but that's a whole other issue, which we're not going to get into right now. Um, I'm just going to say Montreal Screwjob, and we're going to move on. Um, <laughs> anyway. No, so the problem is that most, I'm going to say, as somebody who does actually care about professional wrestling a bit, that this is not to say that... Uh, it is easy. This is not to say that the moves going on in the ring are any less difficult than pulling those moves off in real life. What I mean is that it is obviously choreographed and that the match endings are pre-planned. They are, like, let's say, scripted. Uh, the word not real does have some lingering amount of baggage that I can totally understand why some people would get offended by that because... I prefer the term fake. Okay, well, I don't. Um, <laughs> no, as, as as somebody who has, who listens to several podcasts, um, speaking of which, the uh, the most recent uh, talk is Jericho, where he had uh, Kenny Omega on a couple months ago. The most recent interview with him was fantastic. But like after hearing people who have actually done that in the ring talk about how much pain actually failing some of those moves can be, like 
saying the word fake does feel like it well, undersells it. I mean, in a way, I, I'd probably say it's probably a lot like people saying NASCAR's not real racing. Yes. It's, it's understandable from, from a certain perspective that it seems simplistic and, and That's stupid. Fair. But at the same time, you're still in a car yes. going over 200 miles an hour on a regular basis. Yes. It's hot. It's supremely dangerous. Yes. It's uncomfortable for, I don't know, what, four or five hours? Four or five hours. So yes. just because it's not what you conventionally think of as as racing doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't some skill involved exactly and it's the same way with wrestling that, that's what i was Only gonna say they look dorkier that's yeah, sure absolutely <laughs> uh no yes if, if scripted pre-planned all those kinds of things i like totally totally understand why people bristle a little bit when people use the word fake but so the thing is that wrestling games always come from this idea they they want to treat it like a fighting game they want to treat it like you know, like your Street Fighters, like your Mortal Kombat, you know, those kinds of fighting games. And that's not what, I mean, we just said, that's not what wrestling is. It's not an actual fight. And the things that make a good fighting game interesting are not the things that make a good wrestling match interest. I think in a lot of ways, that's probably why TEW is far more exactly. an effective model of wrestling and far more entertaining because it reflects the realism of wrestling right the yes the the actual reality the 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 uh the non-kayfabe or the kayfabe reality or or or, okay so so kayfabe is the word that wrestlers use to mean what's going on inside the show during the show kayfabe is the word like is the word that wrestlers use to mean what is going on during the show so you know let's say let's pick two guys you've probably heard of the rock and john cena you've probably heard of those guys john cena yes yeah and the rock yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in real life, John Cena and Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, don't like each other. Also, in kayfabe, during the show, they are going to pretend not to like each other. You know, they're actors. They are pretending not to like each other. So the important thing about knowing, about understanding what kayfabe is, is basically kayfabe is the acting part of, of wrestling is the pretending that what is actually going on in real life is not, or, or what is actually going on during the wrestling show, during the wrestling matches, all these things, the, I hate yous, the, 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 the taunting, the calling each other out, the, sometimes the injuries, um, that all of this stuff that, that seems sometimes very painful, sometimes very frustrating, sometimes very upsetting, most of this stuff is not real. Sometimes, you know, in real life, wrestlers who also wrestle against each other do actually have some genuine beef. But for the most part, it is people pretending and acting. And the thing that makes this really important is that most... So the so the important thing is that most um, professional wrestling games try to treat kayfabe as though it's real. So they don't admit that, you know... So all of these characters are all, so all the actors are always in character. Anytime you're in backstage segments, like everybody's in character, there's never this acknowledgement that real life is different from the show. Like real life is the show. Like the game is the show and nothing outside of that game exists. So of course, you know, you're two wrestlers trying to actually beat one another, which isn't how it is in real life and isn't interesting in a wrestling match. Right. Like, like, if you actually watch a professional wrestling match, it varies company to company, but for the most part, in most matches, you're going to have one person takes an early lead, then another person 
you know, fights back a little bit. Then he starts to get a little ahead. And then, um, you know, you get what's called a hope spot where the other guy finally manages to get back and, you know, get the upper hand again. And then one or the other of them usually pulls one of their special moves. And then, you know, one of them wins. It's a pretty standard formula. And, it, you know, they vary. There are ways of varying those things. But, I mean, that's basically how it's going to go. They're going to be two or three back and forth. And then they're going to pull a couple of really cool moves. And then the match is going to end. And you can't do that in a, in a standard fighting game style thing, because the point of a fighting game is to just wallop on your opponent and not let them have a chance to move unless you are equally matched players. Mm-hmm. So here's where I think here was my first idea for a really straightforward way of handling this. Okay. A rhythm game, a professional wrestling rhythm game, because or, or not, nece- not necessarily a rhythm game in the sense of like, um, like rock band or guitar hero, but sort of something like say a dance central where Mm. you have these scripted segments that you know are going to come up and you got to sort of pick the good moves that you think would look good in these segments. Um, you know, so you might even work with, you know, it would actually probably work pretty well with the connect. I know they've tried to bring a couple of professional wrestling games to the connect. I was thinking that would be a crazy good idea. And and I kind of like the idea that you actually have to pick moves that would reflect the the current staging. Like exactly. Oh, you're supposed to be on a decline, so you're supposed to be picking certain moves that will be more defensive or yeah. downplayish. I I think the two biggest problems where you run into concerns are one, uh, flying moves uh, like anything where you're flying off a turnbuckle could be potentially dangerous, uh, and anything involving you know weapons. Um, which actually most companies have actually are actually moving away from weapons because that's actually a really good way to actually hurt people. <laughs> so um, no more bashing people across the back with chairs. Chairs are a little different, but cha- chairs are easy to take safely. Um, there are a lot less people using, let's say, sledgehammers, ah, um, or barbed wire covered bats. Um, Delicious. Or, yeah, uh, there, there. That's that's what is. Uh, traditionally was known as garbage wrestling or hardcore wrestling, and that is actually on the decline primarily because it's a lot harder to show blood on TV these days. Mm. Uh, and it is really hard to get, it's really hard to hit somebody with a baseball bat covered in barbed wire without there being some blood. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the attitude era of WWE for that reason. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of blood. Uh, I much prefer my Japanese wrestling because that tends to be a lot more high flying. That tends to be a lot more jumping around. That tends to be a lot more mat type stuff. Um, I'm, I'm less of a fan of the American wrestling for that reason, because I do like the, the more showy aspects. But there is one thing that I will say that Japan most of the time misses that I really love from uh, American wrestling, and that's the crazy storylines. So that brings me to the other thing. So we have the, you know, we have the Total Extreme Wrestling booking simulator, which lets you write your own storylines. But you know what would be really cool would be just to see a thing where you were playing all the characters and you are just coming up with these crazy, like... I don't know. Like, part of me sees it as like a visual novel, but I don't think that's necessarily right. But maybe like a, J- a JRPG centered around professional wrestling, hmm. where the battle, where the where the wrestling matches are all JRPG battles, and all of the inter stuff. I mean, and, and it plays out in full kayfabe. So you know, the Undertaker actually is out there casting lightning from the sky, and you know, or you have like. Roddy Roddy Piper, who has the actual power of having a giant set of bagpipes that he can play. So you just kind of like want a crazy, over-the-top wrestling-style RPG to play. Yeah. I think that would be really cool. But uh, because, I mean, 
you know, people talk sometimes about how like comic books are so is soap opera for dudes. I would say professional wrestling is the uh, other one. I got I got it right now. I, I, I figured out what's going on. Okay. Um <laughs> Oh, this is horrible. Um I just got this crazy idea that the, the like the the story arc behind this is that American pro wrestlers are are not laying siege but invading the luchador um nice. wrestling okay. thing and then the Japanese um the Japanese wrestling community joins in to save the luchadors. Nice. I actually like that. And actually as a JRPG that would actually make a lot of sense. Yeah, cuz cuz has each each um each style of wrestling could almost be like its own like race or something. I, I mean, just, like technically speaking they are three they different are. races, uh, well, but well, actually, having I actually am seeing it sort of like job classes in the Final Fantasy games, you maybe can do that too, where yeah. you have like luchador, you might have like high flyer, you might have brawlers, uh, and and actually there is a lot of uh, trade, especially in the last few years. One of the one of the biggest uh, Japanese pro wrestlers right now, uh, Naito, I cannot remember his last name to save my life. Naito uh, actually went over to Japan or, or to Mexico for several years. Uh, formed a stable called uh, Los I- Los Ignobles Los Ignobles de Japan, uh, which is a Mexican luchador stable that he then came back to Japan and brought back with him as an offshoot. So yeah, there is actually a lot of um, trade between the, the luchadors and the, and, the, and the more Japanese pro wrestling style. Um, so that actually would be a really interesting idea, and I love the idea of um, yeah of, of the double. And the I, think, WWE I think everybody the would love guys. the idea of the WWE being the bad guys. I think that's a pretty uh, pretty standard, um, pretty standard thing. And also, there are a lot. I mean, there are several Japanese pro wrestlers and Mexican pro wrestlers in the WWE, so it would be very interesting to write them into the story. I mean, yeah, like I was saying, um, a lot of people see say you know pro wrestling is sort of like soap operas for dudes, kind of like comic books, um, mm-hmm. where. A lot of why people, especially the WWE, are really drawn to it are these crazy outlandish storylines. You know, back during the Attitude Era, I think one of the most famous is that, you know, there was, I think everybody knows about Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon and how that ran on for like a year and a half. But there was also at one point, uh, Vince McMahon sold his daughter to The Undertaker to kidnap her so that he she could then come back and buy out the company. And then the two of them were pretending that they actually hated each other, even though they were actually working together. You know, really stupid, crazy stuff that kind of shows up in soap operas. Um, and I think that, you know, finding something that could pay tribute to that kind of insanity is really interesting. You, you know, uh, I was kind of thinking it might be kind of a fun thing to pitch mm-hmm. uh, before we had this entire conversation and all this stuff about like um, I was thinking of putting a backyard baseball spin to TEW. Okay. Uh, in that backyard baseball is is a baseball game. It's an older baseball game. I what, what, hang on just a second. I had it up and um, I think it, I think it's came out until like 2010 or 2011. It's it's been around for a long time. Uh, is that a is that a um, hang on just a second. I think it was an so, Ubisoft game. It, I don't think it's that new. I thought it was like a. It's a DS game. Wait, no, it can't be. It, 1997. Oh, so it was originally a PC title. Yes, it started on the PC. It went to the went to a, a lot of yeah, platforms. It was a, it's an older title, but uh, the idea behind it is very cute. Like because yep. it's it's supposed to be kids playing baseball. So I was kind of thinking of of taking like a lot of what's in TEW where you're you're building uh, and like planning, but put 
the young kids in that so that it's like almost like um as a kid do you ever remember like wrestling with your friends or playing playing games and like using your imagination stuff like that yeah so kind of like a wrestling lair with like kids kids playing and having a mechanic built around that i think so it's it's young and light can be a little over the top because it's like imagination and you're you're just like in tew you're building the whole the whole thing but you're using kids and you're picking out which kids are doing what and where they're uh you know just just to cute it up and to give it more of a a user-friendly environment whereas tew is very complicated no yeah simplifying it a lot but still giving you the ability to like choose what happens and then like using uh i i still want to work out some sort of mechanic for the actual like matches yes because i want it to be more dynamic maybe like rtls no rtes why did i say rtls uh, real time events, yeah, to to kind of like give flavor to the actual matches when you go through them, so you can kind of orchestrate what happens. You know, um, you know, you know what I'm, I'm I sort of have in my mind now that you're talking about this whole imagination thing uh-huh. is double fines. Uh, what is that game? Uh, the the candy, cr- uh, not candy crush, uh, candy. The one about Halloween, Costume Quest. Oh, okay. Is uh, is Double Fine's cost? I'm I'm sort of imagining it being done by Double Fine in that sort of costume quest art style, where like <clears throat> when they actually do wrestling finishers, like they actually turn into actual like ima- like they imagine themselves turning into actual wrestlers and like pummeling okay, each other yeah. with giant like like flying out of the air like you know like with your hands over your head and then they turn into like these giant muscle dudes. Yeah, no, um, I love that idea. <laughs> I love the idea of like having it so like. I don't know, like it starts out in some sort of setting that's like benign, like yeah. a playground. And then as you set up the scene, it like suddenly starts turning into like actual like wrestling yeah. event. Uh, well, I like so, it like as the match goes on. Well, even as, yeah. well, as, as things progress, that just like stuff would happen that would turn like uh, the rope swing into a, a cage to, to jump off of onto your yeah, friends and stuff like that. Because I, I like the idea of like the more you get into it and the higher score you get, the more um, imagination takes over the scene yeah. and strange stuff happens. But if you're like scoring poorly, it starts turning back into a playground mm-hmm. or something like that. So that uh, you can kind of get visually an idea of how into it the kids are getting. Because the idea is just that the kids are playing and yeah. having fun. So even if there's no real scoring, that the idea is just like how – how much the kids are enjoying themselves as a kind of thing. I actually, I think that right there, what you just said, may, you may have hit upon the solution to all wrestling games ever, which is imagination. No, the other half of that, which is how much people are enjoying themselves. Which, mm-hmm. if you listen to any professional wrestler talk, at, you know, most of them, any 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 of them who aren't who don't absolutely who aren't completely cynical and haven't gone to completely hate their job. You know, if you'd listen to any of them talk, I mean, professional wrestling is showmanship. At the end of the day, it is, you know, it is theater. And the important thing is listening to the crowd, paying attention to whether the crowd is enjoying themselves and working with them to make them enjoy it more. So what a good wrestling game needs is a a la Paper Mario audience. Absolutely. The Paper Mario audience is exactly what I was just thinking. Yeah, because then you could have some fun stuff like, like what you have in Paper Mario when you press... When you have to press one of the, is it the C buttons? Yeah. 
Um, the sort of showing off. Well, not even – well, there's that, which is great, which is a great thing. Adding flourishes yeah. is a great idea. But also, like, you have to respond to the crowd. Like, if someone's going to throw something at you yeah. in Paper Mario, it could do damage. Yeah. But you can actually knock them out of the crowd and stuff like that. Yeah. I still remember one of my one of my favorite um, events in that is when you think you've defeated Hooktail, which mm. is, like, the first boss in – is it Thousand Year Door? I think it's Thousand Year Door. Yeah, I think Door. so. Um, when you when you're nearly defeated Hooktail, he or she, I think it's a she, I'm not sure, uh, eats half your crowd. Yes. Uh, to and get some <clears throat> health out of it. And it's really funny. Um, but stuff like that, yeah. larger scale interactions with the crowd and and having options to bounce off the crowd, the energy and, and exactly. improving that. And, well, and so <sighs> you're scoring based off of how they're enjoying the match, not how you're doing fight-wise. Exactly. I mean, sort of going back to my earlier um, <clears throat> point about, uh, you know, that sort of rhythm game type thing, I'm actually now now sort of actually imagining it more as like a Devil May Cry or a Bayonetta or or even like a, like a Tony Hawk, where rather than just being you sort of mocking the moves, it go, it is that rhythm thing, but it's, <clears throat> it's about putting stylish and interesting and unique combos together. And it's sort of, you hear the atmosphere and you're trying to be like, oh, they're really loving it when I'm going for punches, so I need to work in more punches. Or, oh, they're really loving this punch, I'm going to give them a 10 spot so they can actually count along with me. Or, oh, they're really liking it when I'm throwing this guy over, so I'm going to try to do a bunch of outside moves because I know that they're really enjoying watching me jump on this dude. Do you know what you could do as like a difficulty level type thing? Mm. Is having it so like either normal or the basic settings like that where they just they just respond and you just kind of pick up cues. Yes. But I was kind of thinking as an added level of difficulty, the type of crowd yeah. could affect the type of response. Oh, absolutely. So you could have like, oh, I don't know, this is a weird random thought, like the tons are there tonight and they just happen to love more visceral fighting. So you need to pull up these kinds of uh, oh, absolutely. combat because you know your crowd's going to go into that or you've got like a whole bunch of american dudes and they just love getting watching people get hit by chairs well, so you better have some chairs by well would I, it would actually even be easier than well like i'm not gonna say easier but because it does assume some amount of wrestling knowledge but i imagine if you're buying a wrestling game you probably have some like for instance philadelphia is very well known as a very active crowd they like a lot of blood they like a lot of excitement they're very "Quote unquote smarky crowd. They 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 sort of are, are a little more knowledgeable about the backstory of the you know the backstage stuff of wrestling. So there you would pull out a little bit more violent moves, a little bit more or, or a little bit more harder core moves, a little bit more mat wrestling. Whereas if you're in like a place like excuse me, Florida, Florida is very well known. That's where their training camp is. You might be able to get away with being a little sloppier, but they're also going to want a little bit more theater. They're going to want a little bit more excitement. They're going to want a little more flash." Um, and if you're down south, they're probably going to want a little bit more stuff on the mat and a little bit slower. Whereas if you're up north, they're going to want a little bit more uh, punching and brawling. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, totally stuff like that. Yeah. And also even things like in Japan, it's a much quieter crowd. In America, it's a much louder crowd. So, like, knowing even that kind of stuff would be really interesting to see. Um, yeah, I totally think that would be awesome. And I would actually say the one other big thing, you know, we, we talked about how important story is. Uh, you and I were talking a little bit before the show about the game uh, Shadows of Mordor. Uh, one of the things that I think Shadows of Mordor does, the one thing that I really wish more games would, would steal from it is the their nemesis system, which is this idea that when you kill an enemy 
or when you kill these bosses, um, like other bosses come up to take your place and some of the, or if you, and if you die to some of them, they then remember you and start taunting you more. So, you know, if you work something like that into the system where you are actually dealing with these wrestlers and the storyline is actually writing itself around you, like, oh, you actually lost in this match. You did really badly in this match. That person then becomes an actual rival of yours in, in kayfabe. And they're going to then start taunting you like they can work that into the show now. And if you find ways to interfere with that character's matches from here on out, that's going to build the show. That's going to build the storyline. That's a good idea. So like you could actually work that stuff into the game itself. I'd love to see something like uh, uh, some sort of story orchestrator for something like oh, that, totally. that would dynamically build a story based on key plot points. I, like, the problem with that is that it'd be very easy to do that wrong. Oh, they have done it wrong many, many times. Um, the reality is most, like if you actually look at like modern, like the WWE uh, games, like their story creators are basically just kind of like, um, you know, they're all very fixed storyline stuff, but yeah, the idea of dynamic story, like they've, they've worked it in a little bit over the years. Like they have what they call their universe mode, which is you can sort of pick quote unquote rivals, but it doesn't work very well. Um, because again, they treat it like an actual match. So if you lose, like, you know, you shouldn't ever, you know, anytime you're going to lose, you're just going to try to restart. So having people running in and interfering, is it fun? Like, I think that's the really cool thing about your idea about the, the paper Mario stuff is, Losing doesn't matter anymore because what's important isn't winning or losing. It's putting on a good show. Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing that really needs to change. And I think that your idea of, of making this more like a paper Mario game is, is right on. Yeah. I will also say the one other game that I think the only other uh, game that I think has really nailed this is, um, is it WWE all-star? Yeah. WWE all-stars, which is an actual fighting game. And I believe it's actually by, um, some former, um, <clears throat> I think it's by some of the former Mortal Kombat guys, and it's these like super hyper exaggerated uh, wrestling guys, and they're all doing like their classic stuff, and it is it actually plays like an actual fighting game, much more than a wrestling game. And when they do do the you know their their special moves, their fa their signature moves, you know, so when Randy Savage does his his famous. Uh, you know, jump with the one elbow from the top turnbuckle. He's literally flying the entire length of the, of the stadium and jumping about 40 feet in the air because it's all just super hyper crazy. And I think that's the other way to do it is you make it, you make wrestling look the way it did when you were, when you thought it did when you were 10. Yeah. Because that's the people who wrestling is really for. It's, it's not for adults. Like, I watch it, but I hate people. You know, this is something I've said before. I hate wrestling fans on the internet who are like, oh, well, this person doesn't have a really good technical understanding of the proper way to take a dive when they're doing a, when they're taking this move. It's like, that stuff doesn't matter. Like, suspending your disbelief is important because this isn't, like, the people who watch it like that drive me crazy because they are dissecting it way too much. It would be like watching... I don't know, be like watching a movie and being like, well, this person's line delivery on the 15th minute is like a little bit too stilted. Like, that's just not something you do. Um, and it's a good way to ruin a movie. It's a really good way to analyze it. Right. And it, it, it's something that really frustrates me about a lot of internet wrestling fans is the people who do just take it way too serious, which is a problem with the internet in general. People who take things way too seriously. But I think that that's something that WWE All-Stars does really right, is it captures that 
sense of childhood imagination and of, and of nostalgia and of just, oh my gosh, that's what I thought that was like when I was 12 is that, you know, Randy Savage hangs in the air for three, for 30 seconds. And is just like basically just hovering in, in midair. I mean, he obviously, right. I mean, he obviously isn't, but that's what it feels like when you watch the man. And I think that's something that's really important. And I think, again, that's something that, you know, your idea of making that more about your audience is something that really captures that. And I think for me, like that's, I think we, you know, we're, we're running, we're a little short today, but that's okay. But I think that that really, and I'm just also going to say, you, you got to make, you, you know, if we're going to start putting out more wrestling games, we need to get Kenny Omega. And I know he's never going to be able to sign because he doesn't work with WWE and he's totally new Japan pro wrestling. And I understand all that stuff. But the man could do like a superplex from like fifty, like could do a fifty foot superplex. Like the man is insane. So, so we need we need a Jap- Japanese company to make a wrestling game for this. They actually have some. They're really hard to get. <laughs> actually, I will also say Fire Pro Wrestling. Apparently, I have not played a lot of it. I know a lot of people say some really good things about it and the way that it does things. But that game also is weirdly like not a game that people play so much as they create. Like it's got really insane like character creator. Like, you can make perfect replicas of all these famous wrestlers, and then a lot of people just sort of do that and then, like, simulate it all. It's a little too detail-oriented. For oh. something, like you said, it's just like when... when I mean, there's something to be said <coughs> about having fun with the technical as- yes. aspect, which is why you like TW, and you probably would like this game, but it still doesn't capture the the joy of flying suplexes. Oh, no, totally. But, but what I do think is interesting, and I, I have considered this, I'm not... I'm not $30 interested in Fire Pro Wrestling, but if it ever goes on sale, I might pick it up. But I know one person made um, or has made some of the rosters from the various TEW companies. So what would be really interesting would be to sim out all the matches, like sim out a night's show or sim out a show on Total Extreme Wrestling and then let the AI play all those matches in Fire Pro Wrestling and see what actually happens and book your and book the winners based on the Fire Pro Wrestling show. Huh. It would be so. It'd be like m- combining the two things to yeah. build. Like, I mean, it, again, like it, like that character creator is way more detailed than I will ever put that time or effort into. But just the idea of that is really cool. Like watching the AI play a bunch of of matches for you. It's 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 an interesting idea. Um, and I will also say just quick shout out before we uh, before before we end this episode to a video game pro wrestling, which. Luke, knowing even knowing you don't particularly like wrestling, I think you might enjoy some of video game pro wrestling, which is a guy who writes. Uh, it started with I think WWE twelve or WWE thirteen. It's basically he lets the computer play out all these matches, but he writes all these storylines, and it's all about these like Wario and Link and King DDD and Mega Man and. Like one year, I believe, like Mega Man won this tournament. So then all these other people started fighting for it. And at some point, one of the ninjas, one of the ninjas from Mortal Kombat killed another ninja from Mortal Kombat and took his place. You know, it's a video game professional wrestling show. So it's insane. Huh. Um, but you know, that's the stuff you can do with this stuff. That's that's how crazy this stuff could be. And we're sitting there with the guys who want us to be to tap. You know, to tap the right trigger three times to break out of a pinfall. Like, there's so much insanity out there. Let's embrace it. That's my final word. My final word is donut. Okay. Donut. 
And with that, we'll be moving on to the mouth wash to get rid of all those delicious, delicious donuts stuck in our teeth. You have whole donuts stuck in your teeth? So welcome back to the mouthwash. We'll be talking about games that capture emotion, and that is not a Pokemon. Are we talking about the crying game? No. Do we spit fiery hot trues like bows from the arrows of Lady Justice herself? I was supposed to say that, wasn't I? Like arrows from the bow of Lady Justice herself makes way more sense. <laughs> if you could get an arrow to shoot a bow, I have nowhere to I go. Put bows, I put bows on my arrows because it works a little bit better than pom-poms. It is late, and... <laughs> It is late and I am punchy. Okay, so um, <clears throat> punching a, is a good emotion. There's a, a lot of uh, punching is not an emotion. That's an action. <laughs> oh, darn. So uh, there's a lot of games out there that that uh, do a great job of conveying emotion. Um, do they? Yeah. I didn't <clears throat> say all games. I okay. said there are games out there that. Okay. Yeah. See. Okay. Not all games. I actually said a lot of. I mean. So, I mean, we could start right. out with, with the, the fact that there are, are some games out there that kind of, like, uh, are the exception to the rule. It's very rare to find in, say, a shooter, a good emotional well reaction. It's just- so, so, so I'm, I'm actually going to sort of break down with one, one of the things that occurred to me while, we, while I was thinking about this topic. So, I think, I think there's sort of two different types of emotions that we should talk about. I think there's sort of the... Easy emotions versus the harder emotions. So, like, easy emotions are things like uh, basic sense of wish fulfillment, which we've talked about several times. There's that sort of horror or fear emotion. Like, that's that's a fairly easy emotion to evoke. Uh, killing somebody in a game to provoke some sort of response, whether it be well, anger or... We're talking or- about killing someone off, not, like, making... Yeah, uh- yeah, like, like, having, like, mur- like, killing a character to sort of provoke that either vengeance or or just that gut punch and then that fourth one is sort of that sort of you know feeling like you've been played with or betrayed like you know bioshock or uh final fantasy 4 or you know mass effect where that feeling of oh i've been tricked this whole time like i think those those emotions show up in a lot of games and i think those are a lot easier than the than the kind of things that you're probably talking about uh, yeah, although you did touch on a couple of things that we would be talking about here. Oh, see, I was, I was going to say, let's not talk about those, because I think those are easy emotions. To, those are just sort of, they're not quite pandering, but I think that, you know, they're very, um, they, they're cheap. I, I think a lot of those can be done very cheaply, let's say. I don't say. know. Well, I mean, they can be done cheaply, but are they, should they be completely ignored? Like, as an example, I think Bioshock's major twist was a big big deal for but, a lot of people but bioshock maybe i think i was i, I was thinking more like uh, the super hot or final fantasy 4 i think both were ones that bugged me um for me a lot of it is that sort of um especially when it's like killing a character i think that's cheap i think that that is easy to do like you can anybody yeah. can kill a character um that that don't make you special no um, okay so as uh, a good place to start with i think is like uh the the major uh, the the games that are almost like use that as a major uh conceit, 
like uh, the the two that came to mind primarily were like that dragon cancer and Papa mm-hmm. and Yo. Well, the entire premise of the game was to talk about an emotionally charged environment, like that dragon cancer. Uh, whether or not you think that it's a good or a bad game, I haven't played it. I know a lot of people didn't think it was a good game, yeah. But it was designed around the idea of being a parent with a child with cancer. So and the it was a, a chronicle of an actual parent's yes time. So. Here's a question that leads me to. Mm-hmm. I put in one of my notes that I think visual novels are cheating when it comes to doing this for the same reason that because any novel can do that. We've proven time and again that novels can emo- invo- evoke emotions. Do you think that think games like Papa Yo, uh, That Dragon Cancer? Well, Papa Yo is not actually a visual novel. No, well, neither. I mean, neither is That Dragon Cancer. They're both, you know, narrative pathing games. But we've talked before about how those are sort of two sides of the same coin, um, where one mm. is more, you know, where where it is as much a let's say a moving a museum piece, a diorama, a, a a performance art piece, let's say. Well, I think it, it falls into the same requirements as that we've discovered before, what level of, of interactivity yeah. uh, the games I Because mean, I think another one we've talked you know, you, you and I have talked about, and one that you would, I would probably put in there with that dragon cancer would be To the Moon, which I think would definitely be sort of a visual novel in a way. In a way. I mean, it tells a story. Like, in a lot of ways, in a lot of games, if you if you – push the matter are novels no that's fair they're they're stories being told and they would just have more or less complex mechanics to progress the story i I, I guess what i'm getting at is do are are we there is a different let's let's say there is a difference between telling a story in the cinematic aspects of a game and telling it through the game part um because cinematics or 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 narrative like the narrative portions of games are still at, at the end of the day movies and novels that have gameplay mechanics in them. Are we speci- are we allowing those? Or are we specifically looking through games that evoke those emotions through the gameplay itself? Well, I thought we could touch on on all okay, all I, those things. I'm fine either way. I just figured that's something we should get out of the way first. So okay, as long as you are fine with that, I'm fine with that. Um, well, I mean, like the first thing we could just cover. Um, we'll go through this list of things. Is story driven emotion okay in games because that is. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like just it's simple storytelling, yeah. but games that convey a good story-driven emotional response. There's been a bunch of them, yeah. and, and I can't deny the fact that a lot of them are really good. To the Moon, I have to say, it wasn't just emotional, just the the actual moral question that that put up. And the challenge so I, I, it presented to me. I, I guess the one reason I was sort of asking that is my my one concern is if we are specifically talking about the narrative portions of games, we probably should warn that we're going to be spoiling things. Because talking about the gameplay resonance of something versus talking about the narrative, we kind of have to explain the narrative to talk about it. So if we're well, going mean, to do either, that, we should probably way, do a spoiler if alert. If we're talking about this, we're going to have to spoiler alert. Okay, then spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I personally don't have a problem with spoilers, but I know some people do, so we might as well tell you that we're going to spoil things. All right. So, um, first spoiler out there, going back to to the moon. Yeah. Um, it has the major plot line in that. I don't. I guess you don't really care, but I don't mind spoilers. Um, I also kind of know how it's going to go. Is is it's not even really a spoiler. I mean, it starts from the very premise that you are going, you're going 
into this guy's minds before he dies and you're making changes to his memory. Yeah. And and that on a, in a subtle way is kind of sad enough because you're you're giving them something that he wants. Yeah. And in this story he wants to go to the moon. He doesn't quite know why he wants to go to the moon. He can't remember why. He can't remember why he wants to go to the moon. Yeah. And the entire time even with the creepy the creepy um rabbit origami. Yeah. Uh, as you work backwards through his memories to figure out um, what was going on, it turns out that his wife, who he'd grown up with, right. had wanted to go to the moon. And he had talked about the moon constantly and 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 there was a underlying memory there yep. that came from a promise that he made before he had suffered – some incident. I think he was hit by a car or something. Okay. And so they had given him certain drugs that made him forget everything from the past. And his entire life, his wife was trying to remember, rem- trying to get him to remember a promise that he had made that had major significance. Yeah. And <clears throat> he had completely forgotten. Yeah. And so their entire project everything that they were trying to do was kind of like pointless right because because as i understand it basically the whole point was he wasn't actually supposed to like the moon in and of itself was actually tangentially related to what he actually wanted which exactly. he actually wanted him to remember so by because, because it was <clears throat> it was a touching thing in that he was the first person to actually be like interested in her. Right. Because she was awkward and strange and she had issues. And that was such an important thing to her that she was able to connect to him. And so like the major thing about that that really got to me was the fact that the entire time all they had to do was unlock those memories and he could have died remembering what was so important about those things and, and remembering his wife for who she really was. Right. Because the entire time he had no clue about this this past and that her devotion to him was far more than he ever understood because her her problem made it hard for her to emote how how important he was. But of course the problem is and, and it's kind of similar to uh um with uh Jim Carrey. Eternal, sun, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Ah, right. Um, the problem is that <clears throat> they weren't called in to restore his memories. They were called in specifically to help him remember having gone to the moon. So, well, not even remember. They were they were there to, to plant the plant right. the memory of going to the moon. But I mean, but doing that would destroy the actually important memories. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was. I mean, there there are some other things that happen that kind of make it a little bit better, but. It also kind of brings up that question of of yeah. in that situation, would you want to have the good memory of going to the moon, or would you want to remember melancholy as it was, the fact that there was more to your wife than you actually recall because of this one event that happened before you can remember, right? That was so pivotal in her life. That she couldn't actually tell you about because right. of her own disconnects, but she never, ever forgot. Right. Well, I mean, and that, <clears throat> right. And that obviously is the whole, I mean, and, and that is obviously something that is, is 
a very common uh, thing that comes up in, in a lot of stories is that sort of concept of do you accept the past or do you want to force yourself to live in the ideal world that you want that you think will make you happy? Well, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, but the the and the major question about that is also the fact that uh, the person that there that would have remembered that is a third party, right? And so, technically speaking, with a few exceptions, would have been very dangerous even to explain to him and try to get him to change his mind outside of. It's it's all convoluted, right? But it's. <clears throat> I mean, it, at some point, that's that's basically all time travel stories as well well not really it's all memory based because no I, I just mean that sort of concept of accepting the past versus that idealization of the future is, mm. is you know is, is sort of where all time it, travel it, it's a from. it's a memory driven time travel yeah thing. exactly um and i just and that one put me through a major emotional um roller coaster because it was so so convoluted and there's so many nuances to the actual picture they're painting there that it was very hard to just be like, well, no this or no that. So, uh, well, I, I mean, one of the reasons I bring up time travel is because I think for me, uh, one of the stories that really I had to sit down for an evening after playing it and beating it is uh, Bioshock Infinite, which is about time travel. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that one, I, I haven't actually played Bioshock <coughs> Infinite. But so, um, Bi- I heard it's got a really twisted end to it. Bi- Bioshock is really Bioshock Infinite is really interesting because I didn't realize until because I, I played it before I played Bioshock, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize until I played Bioshock how much of it is toying with things from the original Bioshock. Right. Even from the very beginning, where in the original Bioshock you find a lighthouse, you you enter this bathosphere and you descend. Mm-hmm. In Bioshock Infinite, you climb to the top of this lighthouse, you ring this gong, and all of a sudden these flashing lights and this foghorn light up the sky, and you're just like, oh my gosh, what the heck is that? And then this elevator comes down and pulls you up. Um, and oh my gosh, you want to talk about terrifying. That was that first like 30 seconds of that game scared the crap out of me. But so you were sent there to recover this girl named Elizabeth. I think most people know this part. Elizabeth has the ability to open rifts between parallel universes. Yeah. Because she's not from the universe that she's currently in. No, I, uh, yeah. Okay, so th- so so that part people have heard. So here's where we get into the spoilers. She is the daughter of the man who was sent to recover her. She's also the daughter of the man who runs this city. Because the man who runs this city is the man who was sent to recover her from two different timelines. The timeline split after the Battle of Wounded Knee, which was an actual battle that took place during the Civil War. And right. one of those... He basically walked away and said, I can't take this anymore. In the other, he basically became this firebrand preacher uh, and started his own cult. The firebrand preacher started his own city in the sky. The other one became a drunk, became, wound up working for all these people, um, you know, took part in several historical moments <clears throat> and then had his, and then sold his daughter because he was in debt and then realized a few seconds too late, raced after her, went back, and tried to recover her. And she got dragged into this alternate world, leaving just her finger behind, which is why she has the ability to tear open alternate universes. The game ends with her having to kill the man who would become the man who started that city, because you have to go back in time 
and kill the problem at its source, essentially. So she goes back in time and murders the man who would become her father. Yeah. And there's there's a lot more to it, but that's the basic idea. And they're, you know, and, and just sitting there and and, I, and then you wind up before she does that, one other thing happens, which is you go back to Rapture. Mm-hmm. And she says, because there's infinite worlds. There, you know, there are infinite lives, there are infinite worlds. But they always start and end with a lighthouse. Um, basically saying, you know, which was, I mean, both a shout out to the original, you know, both both an explanation of the original game and of this game and sort of its themes, but also just the idea that everybody's life, you know, there are infinite number of lives, but they all start and end in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of what this whole thing was about, is that there are all these infinite lives and they start and end in the same way. And just these little tiny things along the way have these vast rippling consequences. And, you know, so the end was a very dramatic and very kind of dark and horrifying way of, of illustrating that. But in the meantime, it was this very beautiful moment of you seeing 19 of you walking along this pier while this other Elizabeth is talking to them. And I don't know, there was something about that where I just really had to sit down afterwards and really, really think about what they were actually trying to say. And I still don't necessarily know that I agree with all of it, but certainly the intent, I was just like... Yeah, and there was also a lot of stuff in there about how, you know, it's, you know, there was a lot of stuff about how, like, the rebels in an alternate timeline will become the the oppressors. And a lot of those things, would, you know, a lot of that sort of there, but for the grace of God go I kind of stuff of you may think that you are doing the right thing, but you're only doing that from one perspective kind of thing or how easily it is to be corrupted by being in a situation where you have it a lot easier, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I find very powerful. Hmm. Um, another uh, series of games that I thought both were major uh, emotional, mm-hmm. um, really good storytelling, uh, Bastion and Transistor. I, both of those were really good, in my opinion. I don't like the story of Transistor all that much. I think Bastion is really interesting, though again, ironically, also gets into that whole thing of time travel of do you accept the future or do you try to change it? Uh, I didn't have any time travel in it. Yeah, it does at was- the very end. One of those buttons that you press starts the whole world over and the other one doesn't. Yeah, well, it's, it's not technically time travel, but if, if you press one of the buttons, the idea is... And this is actually commented on. If you go back and start a new game plus after doing it, you think you're going to start the world over and all it does is actually start you right back at the very place that you started the first game. You can't actually go back and change the thing that caused the world to end. Ah. Um, so that that's sort of what they're commenting on. But it is about this idea of do you accept the future as it is or do you think you can go back and change it? It reminds me of <clears> – funny little uh, branch. There's a, a French uh, – like a French anime actually. Right. Um, where the entire like the first first ep- first season villain's goal was to s- was to sap the life out of these great beings. I think they were like trees and other stuff that they're trying to he's trying to steal life energy from. Okay. To power this big uh, device so that he could go back in time and stop. Um, I think it was like the death of his sister or something. Where like okay. that. Right, and he goes through all this trouble and, and kills all, does all this terrible stuff, like sucks the life out of an entire forest. Yeah, and at the end, it gives him like ten minutes of time travel. Yeah, like he thought he could go back in time and stop everything, and he devoted his entire life to this mad scheme. Yeah, and 
it didn't take him far enough back. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, I, I have this theory, and I'm not going to expound on the whole thing here, but basically that, you know, most of time travel is actually just stuff about, you know, metaphors for how you accept the change and tragedy and horror in your life. Um, mm, and I think right. that's a really good example. I think a lot of the uh, the Tales games or, and even some of the Final Fantasy games Although, really go into a lot of that I, kind of stuff. I will say that in that regard, that one little thing is kind of a footnote in the greater story that is Bastion. Yes. Oh, oh, totally. I was just saying that that while we're talking about games about changing the past, that's certainly part of it. I mean, there's also a lot in there about Zia and Zayn, Zeke. All three of them start with a Z. I think so. Yeah. Um, but the the, the two uh, the two the two native the, kids. Uh, yeah. The, the yeah the ones that the one that, who the one who yeah. falls in love with you and then the one who betrays you. Yeah. Um, the story in that I, I thought was ab- absolutely phenomenal. I re- I really liked it. I didn't like Transistor that much because it was a foregone conclusion from the beginning, and that kind of bugged me. Well, I wouldn't have said that. I didn't actually see that the end game coming until it actually arrived i i didn't either and that it felt like a shaggy dog story to me and that's that was what bugged me is that like when you reached the end you're like oh she we already she already knew from the beginning that this was going to happen mm-hmm. um it was it was only interesting because the character didn't tell you because you didn't know everything the character knew right um, well i mean it's all it's all so uh transistor actually follows um a girl and her boyfriend the very beginning of the game, the boyfriend is killed. Yes. But the uh, the big conceit of the game is the weapon that she uses is actually – it's called the transistor. Yeah. And whatever it kills, it absorbs. It turns into a function. It turns into a function. And in fact, I think that's one of the major things that I loved about that was the idea that this all city – the programming stuff. The entire city, I think, was all digital. Well, it was it was interesting going back to it. gave the impression that everything was already functions. It, it's interesting going back to it after learning programming and seeing how much of that is just programming jokes. Well, yeah, because I mean that yeah. that entire thing is is kind of like in a way somebody else's rendition of Tron. Uh, yes, but I mean, but it's also there's a lot of really weird actual jokes in a oh, lot I'm, of the way I'm, that stuff works. I'm sure, yeah, but I mean, it's it really falls funny. in line with the entire thing. Oh, totally. So, so the entire time. Um, again, the narrative. The, it, well, it's not even really narrative. The, the most of the like the information you get comes from the voice of the boyfriend because the boyfriend is embedded in the sword, right? And you kind of get this impression throughout the entire thing that she's looking for some solution to get her boyfriend out of the sword. Speaking of which, don't ever look up the voice actor for the sword and for the narrator in Bastion. It Why will is, ruin it for you. Why is that? Because he's kind of a derpy looking dude. Oh, wow. He's not. He's not like. He's not bad looking or anything. But he definitely does not look like the voice would make you think he does. No, he's got a good voice though. Um, yes. And so you go through this entire quest, and you do a bunch of stuff, and then it ends the way it ends. And that's all I really want to say. About yeah, that. let's not spoil that one too much. Even though we've already spoiled a bunch of and, them. And so for both of them, I think one of the biggest things to say about that is the emotion is also drawn out and expanded so much by the music. I was going to say they're both and they're both very much about melancholy and sort of I I rarely do that but yeah. both Bastion and Transistor were games where I absolutely had to have the the this 
the soundtrack. Yeah, I, I bought the soundtrack for both of them. I, th- I think the soundtrack is great. One of my favorite features in the game is in Transistor. When you push the button, there's one button. It does nothing but make the main character hum along to the oh, music. Oh, yeah. So good. I do. They don't have that in the iPad version, unfortunately. Oh, that's that's well, kind of a bummer. Not enough buttons. So let's talk about a game that I hate. I don't know that you like, but definitely evokes an emotional response in me. Mm-hmm. Limbo. Limp. Oh, so that, that's kind of starting to head into the horror scare. I don't, is it horror? Yeah. Okay. I. Well, I mean. That game just makes me I mean, Ill. let's, 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 let's kind of like, cause there's like different, different types of horror. There's, yeah. there's shock type horror. There's visceral horror. There's definitely, part, parts of it are definitely visceral horror. There's uh, jump scare. But, but, the, but the, later half, like the later half of it, I don't feel is horror so much as just this, just this sort of grinding. Yeah. The big thing about Limbo is there's like a million different ways to kill your little kid that you're trying to. to and, and the goal isn't to do that. It's not really even. It's to not it's, die. It's interesting though, because like, uh, the way other people might make that would be with that kind of thing. It's just yeah. like the humor of all these fun different ways to get someone killed. Yeah. But but because of the tone and the theming and the way that's designed, every time your character dies, it is horrific yeah. and it is terrifying and it will leave you having nightmares. But not in a really horror way. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't find it horrifying so much as just sort of... Ugh. Like, it was really... It was really it is the only game that I have ever played where I was like, I don't want to finish this game. I don't want to keep playing this game. But for some reason, I don't want to turn this off. Because if I ever was to play this game again, I would have to get through so much stuff that I never want to see again that I cannot turn this off. Because I have to finish it, and I have to finish it today, because I'm never coming back to this ever again. You can't again. pick up from like the middle... You can, but I... I I don't know. I I played it once and I've never played it again and I will never play it again. But there was so much of this. I don't know. I was just like, I don't ever want to see that spider again. I don't ever want to see those worms again. I don't ever want to see those kids again. I don't ever want to see that sign again. And so I played through the whole thing in one sitting. And I think it was just this hope that I was going to find this kid's sister at the end and that it would all be better. And it is not. <laughs> like, because his sister's already dead. I did not know that. And he's already dead. Really? Well, I guess the name is a bit of a giveaway. I think that is the implication, because at the very end of the game, you walk through this shattered wall, this shattered glass, and you're lying on the ground next to your sister, who was the thing you went to go searching for, and you're both dead. So he might not have been dead at the beginning. They were definitely both dead at the end. Well, I mean, technically speaking, that makes a certain amount of sense. Again, the the name of the game kind of tells you the story. Yeah, it's about Limbo. What was the sequel game to that? Uh, Inside, which I have not played. Uh, Yeah, which you probably aren't going to play. I don't know. I mean, either Trevor or uh, Brett said it was like their game of the year in 2016, so... Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, no... But I've also heard it's pretty horrifying. there's There's no argument that those are very good games. They're very well created. I'm, I'm going to argue that setting, they are good games, but they are well they are well crafted games. Setting, yes. Yeah, setting aside how it makes you feel. Yes, my um, visceral revulsion. Oh, I, I think that was the intention. I think I it was supposed to be getting that kind, and not in a not in a way to like harm you, but just to just to to yes. explore that emotion. But there, I know, but there there is something. I was going back and listening to like old like 2010 game of the year stuff a while back from some company from some sites, and I was just like. Why is everybody saying all these great things about Limbo? Limbo is the game that I most wanted to like 
throw away from me as hard as I could and never look at it again. Like, I guess that means it's effective, but I don't necessarily know it's something I want to reward. But yes, you're right. It is very well crafted for what it is, which is not something that I want. All right. So I, uh, if we covered enough story related. I'm going to go with one more. Which, go for it. <clears throat> because it is one of my favorites, and I know it's one that you've never gotten to. Tales of the Abyss. Okay. Tales of the Abyss, you start off as this absolutely, I'm not going to say monstrous, but you start up as this obnoxious, bratty kid who is a noble, who thinks he knows everything, who thinks he's just the hottest dude. Like, you get accidentally get teleported and you make this girl who accidentally teleported you sell off her family heirloom to buy you enough – to get enough money that you can afford a carriage back to town. Like, that kind of just awful jerk. About 12 hours into the game, so it's a long time into this game, something happens uh, where you find out that he's a clone. And again, spoilers – you you are manipulated by the person that you thought who was basically your childhood hero into destroying this entire town. Your entire team turns on you. They all say that you are the most awful human being they've ever met, and they all hope you die. The clone basically takes you, or, or the real you, takes you over the clone and basically locks him in bed for a few hours. Uh, and goes around and makes every, tries to make everything better. And then you have to spend about 45 hours, because it's a JRPG, uh, you have to spend the entire rest of the game basically going around making amends, apologizing, and genuinely becoming a better, like, the character genuinely becomes a better person, an honest person, a kind person, and even, even despite being mocked and having people tell him to just go and so die. So wait a second. Are you saying that from the very beginning you're playing this evil clone? From the very beginning you were playing a clone. He's not evil. He thinks he's a good guy. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, the character who is the villain is actually the real you. The character who is working for the villain is actually the real you. Ah. And I see. So so <clears throat> uh, okay, so I wasn't exactly following that. So you're saying that somewhere at towards the tail end of the game you get locked up oh not even in the tail end like 12 hours in 12 hours in okay out of a 50 hour game so about a quarter of the way into the game so you, uh, at that point you you kind of lose control and you lose control of yourself and basically are you have a power that when this guy triggers you causes you to basically do the thing from the beginning of trigun and you blow up a city you basically nuke a city through uh, your basically through magic going haywire and you explode you basically, um, or you just sort of let it out of you at such a high speed that it causes the entire city to drop into the Earth's crust, or into the middle of the Earth. Okay, well, uh, that's <clears> kind of weird. It's it's really intense, and just and the fact that you then have to go through and do, like, this character basically then gets is, turns into the butt monkey for the entire rest of the game, and actually wins people's respect by being an honest person and apologizing and trying hard to prove that he wants to become a better person. And, like, it's one of the few games where I actually feel like they understand the, the the real the meaning behind the hero's journey, not just the idea that you go from weak to powerful, but that you actually have to become a better person as well. Like that a quest isn't just I'm going to start with this tiny sword and I'm going to get this super powerful sword. It's also I'm going to start as this person who doesn't really know very much and is a childish, immature person, and I'm going to become a better person by seeing the world. Well, actually, you kind of. Uh that's the funny thing is when you brought that out, um, 
you're going to bring up the next thing I was going to talk about, which is actually character development. Okay. Um, which kind of stems off of story, but in some ways... Can, I think they're they're parallel to each they're other. They're parallel. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a good one. I was actually also thinking of uh, in Bravely Default. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a character that starts out very vain. Yeah. And then when everything hits the fan, which everything does... Yeah. Um, you suddenly discover who he really is yeah. and where he comes from. That's Ring a Bell. Yeah. Uh, he seems like such a space cadet, but he turns out to be a really awesome guy. And a lot of that he does to rectify the situation is pretty impressive, especially considering who he really is. Well, I, I don't want to spoil too much about that. Yeah, I think I, I know some of it. But um, <clears throat> I mean, that, that's sort of, I mean, genuine, gen, yeah, general square yeah, it's a very thing. Oh, very common, it? and that that was the other character. Well, this is actually a different one. Um, one of the biggest gut punch style situations was Chrono. Mm-hmm. Chrono Trigger. When he dies. Yeah, yeah. very early in the game, because eh, it's about halfway. Eh, it's pretty early in a game, <laughs> um, because I mean he's the main character, and you right. spend the entire time emoting through him. Yes, because like he's he's a standard doesn't say anything, uh, so that they allow you to kind of like project yourself onto him, and yeah, then yeah. they kill him off, and then you're playing characters that have already developed. Yes, um, well, I th- I, and I think a lot of that comes down to they are all well done characters. I mean, yeah, that is- but the psychology behind that is actually very impressive. Oh yeah, totally. But I, I I'm just saying I. I think that game works well because it has that very strong characterization across all of the characters. Um, whereas I think, you know, some of the other Final Fantasy games, that would definitely not work with, where I think the characters are a lot weaker. Well, yeah, of uh, course. Yes, totally. Um, and, and that, yeah, that's that's my point. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, I, use I was that, they use that to the full effect. And I think that was a major yeah. thing for a lot of people. And uh, Trevor, hi. Corona True, we yes. talked about it. Yeah, I mean, no, I, 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 yeah, I was agreeing with you that I think that that really only that game only works because of all of those characters are really strong. Whereas, you know, if you asked me, I don't know, Final Fantasy Nine, I'd say you could cut three of those characters. Final Fantasy Five, you could cut a couple. Like, I think there are there are definitely games where those characters are not as meaningful. I mean, even Final Fantasy Eight, as much as I like all of the characters, I think you could get rid of two or three of them. So, yeah, I, th- I think. You know, the fact that they only have seven characters in Chrono Trigger actually works to their advantage. Mm. Okay. I guess the next thing, probably the last thing we should talk about is uh, mechanical. Um, well, I, I actually also was going to have one that is sort of somewhere between story and, and character, which is um, the door uh, with curly brace behind it in Cave Story, which, you, I mean, you want to talk about a gut punch moment where <clears throat> if you know what you were doing – you could save uh, – so in, in Cave Story, about eh, let's say two, maybe three hours in, you get to this moment where you and this other robot wind up washed up in this area underwater. Mm-hmm. If you know what you were doing, you could save her. If you don't know what you were doing, you can't. If you already – you have to have already gotten something several hours before to be able to do it. If you haven't, you are never going to be able to go back and get her. And there is this click of finality when that door closes and you weren't able to save her where you're like, ugh. Like, right. I think for me that was – that is one of those moments of well, – I, I guess it's both mechanical and story, but just that that little 
click of the door slamming shut where it's just like, oh, I could have done it. I could have done it. I know there's a way to do it. Because they pop up text bubble saying, if you had this thing, I could do it. And I'm like, oh, I saw that thing three hours ago and I did not get it. And if you go back and get it, you can't use it. Because mm, it's too late. Too late. Yeah. And you want to talk about that sort of feeling of accepting the future versus changing the past. And that's one of those definite moments. Uh, yeah. So actually that, that actually brings me to some other, to another, uh, one of my more theoretical points. I think that there is a difference between, and mostly we've been talking about the former, but that, this one I think is, is, was sort of an example of the latter, which is the difference between provoking an empathic response and provoking the response itself. Uh, you know, for instance, the difference between wincing when somebody gets kicked versus making you feel like you've been kicked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, a lot of times games tend to try to rely on the latter or, or on the, sorry, on the former of making it feel, of making you watch somebody else get hurt to make you, to, to provoke a response in you. And I yeah. think that's, again, that's sort of easier. It's, it's, uh, you know, I'm not going to say cheating because at some point, you know, you get, you know, these are tricks of the writer. These are how things work, but they are definitely easier. Yeah. Well, I mean, like uh, the the Chrono Trigger one is is an instance I think where you get yes. more of the feeling of kick because, as I said, you spend so much of the game playing this character, yeah. and then um, when that incident comes, it does such a good job of making you feel like uh, that it was you. Yeah. Because you've been playing this character, you've been invested in the character. That um, <clears throat> totally, it all right. It pulls that off. So I, I have one um, really good um, mechanical, but I'm actually going to save that towards the end. So what do you have for some mechanical ones? Well, I was thinking about like um, I was thinking about we we talked recently about uh, getting over it. Mm. Um, and there's this the obvious frustration and anger that that game can invoke. Totally. But there is something else that I re- recall uh, quite often, and that's the strain of actually trying to get, like, when you're capable of carrying it out, but it requires precision yeah. and a very careful amount of, of power in your movements yeah. to get it to do what you want it to do. And... A, for some weird reason, the entire time, I was cramping my left hand, even though I'm using my right hand on the mouse, mm-hmm. um, because of the level of tension that came with actually just trying to advance up the mountain. Yes, that's that's that I can say. I actually think one of my uh, favorite, I guess technically two, because they're by the same designer, but uh, the Team Ico games, uh, Ico and Shadow of the Colossus, oh, I think yes. both really have... Um, Ico mechanically really gives you this feeling of being this tiny, well, it's actually, there's two of you, because there's you and then there's, there's Yorda, um, who you're a small boy and Yorda's this little girl who you need to protect. You need to, well, you need to protect, but you also need her to help you get to some places. Cause like she needs to push you up and, 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 and you need to pull her up and, and things like that. So you can't get up certain things if she's not with you, but at the same time you need to protect her cause she'll be pulled away by these monsters. Um, so there's these times where you have to leave her behind and you're doing these giant puzzles and you're this little tiny speck on the screen 
and it, and it just provokes this feeling of just nervousness and paranoia the whole time of, am I too far away? Can I see her? Can I get to her if I need to? Which I imagine is very much what it would be like to be a parent and have a small child who is nearby that you're trying to find, mm-hmm. um, which is exactly the emotion I think they're going for. And Shadow of the Colossus, I think, many people have talked about this, but that feeling that, you know, you are – like this feeling that you are sort of destroying this primal piece of nature that is almost so big that it doesn't care about you. Yeah, the, well, I I do uh, in the Shadow of the Colossus. <clears throat> that was the the big thing about that, literally <laughs> um, was how how insignificant you were yeah. in in the in the scheme of that, and and yet you're trying to destroy them and and like the consequences that that entails yeah um they hint very heavily about how bad what you're doing is like come right out and like don't even hint like come right out and say don't do this you are causing problems like well i mean yes in, in sorry narratively they do that but yeah you're right even mechanically it's just like no this is don't do this you're really causing yeah problems. The, the the color choices the palettes yeah um Everything about that. I, I would say that screams. that is a game that is, yeah, unified in in its message. Like the whole game is built around that emotion. Yes. Yeah. I think um, Kerbal Space Program, in a way, does sort of the same thing of making you feel so insignificant, but not quite as mechanically. Yeah, I mean, that's an actually a good point because it's actually balancing. When you're successful, there is an immense amount of empowerment, mm. and and you there's. There's nothing like the satisfaction of a successful flight in Kerbal Space Program. Yeah. But at the same time, there there are times when you are flying between planets and the sense of emptiness. Yeah. And this is like this is like a one tenth scale solar system. Or or when you're or when you are right near a planet in that sense of, oh my gosh, that thing is millions of times oh. larger than me. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. one of my one of the things that sticks with me the most is Getting an approach to the moon wrong. Yeah. Because as you're time warping in, it is growing dramatically. And that, mm-hmm. that as you're approaching it, that feeling of like vertigo you get as you approach it. Yeah. And then you, you get closer and closer and you see all the details and then you realize, oh, I don't have enough time to stop myself. And then, yes. you, and then you hit the moon, literally. Yeah, that's brutal. So, uh, what about The Witness? I've been trying to, like, I know it evokes an emotion in me, and I know it's mechanical, but I can't figure out what emotion it is. Awe? Is it, though? Some form of it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, maybe, it's definitely. Maybe retrospection? Possibly. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think The Witness is, an, The Witness also, like, we've talked about this before, terrifies me sometimes. The level of of detail and the the things that he put in there, just to just to mess with your your understanding. Well, not even that. I mean, it's just there. There are parts of that world that just creep me out. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, atmosphere and that. I mean, they, he does such a great job at, especially at the beginning of that game, making things bright and inviting. Yeah. But as you go, it just gets strange. And Fez, kind of the same way. There are both parts that are awe inspiring and parts that are just kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah. Fez yeah. is Fez is a Maybe that should be one of the games that we beat and then podcast about. Yeah. I've never beaten it, and you've probably never beaten I've it. I've never beaten it. I've, I, beat, I beat the first half of it, but I've not beaten the other Fez. The other Fez. So um, uh, there's one last thing that I want to discuss, if that's your, your last 
The last game I want to discuss is Jason Rohrer's Passage, which is a really interesting game, and I think it only works... I mean, we're talking about mechanically storytelling games, and I think that is a game that only works if you have an understanding of game mechanics. So The Passage is a game where it's it's pixely art. It's by the guy who did uh, Castle... Um, Castle Doctrine and Inside a Star Filled Sky. Mm-hmm. So you're in a maze, you're in this labyrinth. And if you stay near the top, you can go quickly and easily. And if you go down, the maze gets harder and things are hard, it is harder to see where you're going, but you can get a lot of treasure. Now, right. if you're staying along the top, eventually you will run into a, another person, mm-hmm. a woman. If the two of you stay together the whole time, you can go farther. You can't go. You can go farther than you can go by yourself. But you can't go as far. You can't go as far down any of the treasure tunnels because you can only go as far down the treasure tunnels by yourself. You know. So basically, it's a metaphor for life, right? Where you know, if you want to get rich, you can get rich a lot easier by yourself than you can if you're with a partner. But you probably aren't going to go as far in other parts of your life. You might die. You might die younger. You know, and if you're going super far, you know, if you're putting in all of your effort into getting money, you're not going to go as far and see as much. If you put all your effort into seeing more things, you're probably not going to get much out of your life, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is my thesis, which is, you know, we've talked, we, we, I talked at the beginning, you know, at the opening about these easy games. I think there are some harder emotions that I would really like to see things like love, parental concern, self-reflection, kindness, and perhaps the one that I most would like to see, and this game is probably the only one that I can think of that's an actual example of this, is that feeling of, like, wistfulness of, like, you know, like, I say, where's the video game equivalent of, like, Stand By Me? Or of a book that makes me miss being, you know, 14 again. That feeling of, oh man, when I was 14, this thing that I did was really cool. That feeling of, Wanting to go of sort of just that, you know, when you're lying lying in bed at like 10 o'clock at night, listening to some song that you haven't heard since you were 15 again and remembering what it was like going to high school, that sort of nostalgia and wistfulness that you get a lot in faux retro platformers, but that's kind of it. Mm. And I would like to see the game that is the, you know, the video game equivalent of your Stand By Me or your Ray Bradbury novels or your things like that. Because I don't, I've not seen one in a game, and I think it's something that really would be awesome to see somebody do. Because it's really, really easy to do in books, and it's really easy to do in movies. Okay. So you wrap up your fart. No, I think I'm done. Oh, okay. I thought you had something you wanted to finish up. Yeah, but you just made it shallow and trite. So. Oh, okay. Well, then uh, I guess we'll wrap up. All right. In I- closing. Uh, um, you're forgetting again who's actually running right. the mouthwash. Right. And you're close. In closing, Luke will sh- would like to tell you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or pitch ideas, please send them to us at spitball.sessions at gmail.com. You can check out our writing and other articles at uh, spitballsessions.com. You can find me at twitch.tv slash thedrell, or probably not these days, or at thedrell on YouTube. You can find my friend Josh at twitch.tv slash koholos, or at Koholos on YouTube. I really, I'm, I'm thinking I may try to go back to doing to start doing Spitball Saturdays or Spitball Sundays. Okay, probably Spitball Saturdays. I'm not going to be streaming every every day, but I'd like to just go back to maybe doing once every once or twice a month, or once a week or twice a month. Okay, 
Um, I'd like to thank Josh again for editing this podcast. Good job, Josh. And um, I'd like to uh, thank Josh for joining me. Good job, Josh. <laughs> I'd like to thank all of you at home for listening to another exciting spitball session. Tune in next time. Till then, keep your feet in the batter's box and your eye on the ball, because we'll have another hot pitch coming your way. Thank you for joining us for yet another fun episode of Spitball Sessions. We hope you had a good time. Please pay attention as you exit the stadium to make sure that you're not run over by any cars, trucks, or other moving objects. If you'd like to contact us, you can drop us a line at spitball.sessions at gmail.com or on Twitter at spitballsession. Please leave us reviews on your podcasting platform of choice so that other people can help find the show. Remember, we can't do this without you. And come back in two weeks for the next exciting installment of the Spitball Session. Remember, only you can prevent bad games. And welcome back to the mouthwash. Shut up! <laughs> well, Luke can't remember whether he's near ah! you anymore. I was unplugging my mic and walk away. No, Mike! You stole my friend! <laughs> oh my god. It was too late. Okay. Pastrami on right. What was that? I don't know.